0: Well, I want to invite you for just a moment to travel with me back in time to about the year 1600, and we're traveling back in time to the city of London, and we're going to go out for a night on the town, and we decide to catch a show at the famous Globe Theater there in London, right off the River Thames, and we decide that we're going to uh, take part in what will become one of the greatest stories One of the greatest pieces of English literature ever written. We're in for a treat tonight because tonight the show is entitled Hamlet. Written by the great William Shakespeare. And again, imagine for a moment the thrill of watching the most powerful uh, piece of English literature take place in the famous Globe Theater there in London. And we are there in person to enjoy it. The play begins... And we enter into act three, scene one, when out steps Hamlet and we hear the now famous words, to be or not to be. That is the question. To be or not to be. Hamlet is contemplating life and death and he's considering even suicide and he's wondering, he's considering this life and death and he's pondering the state of being versus non-being and his great fear is not knowing really what happens at death. And he says famously, to sleep, or to die, to sleep, to sleep perchance to dream, aye, there's the rub, he says, for in that sleep of death, what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil must give us pause. Hamlet is contemplating life and death and he's not certain what will happen when he dies and that gives him pause. Last week, I shared with you the new purpose, vision, mission, and values of Grace Bible Church as we've talked about it as elders and deacons, and we're working all of this out. And I've told you that my intention for you, my goal for you, for each person here, for those watching online, is that when you stand before the Lord, when you come to that time of your death, there is no great pause that you're ready, that you're equipped, you are engaging and you are exalting God in this life and so you are ready to stand before your Savior so that you might hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. So I propose to you that unlike Hamlet, the question is not to be or not to be. The question we have to wrestle with is for him or for me. For him or for me? Am I going to live my life now for him or am I going to live it for me? To answer that question, I want you to open your Bible up to Genesis chapter 1 as we take a look at a very foundational passage here in the scripture where it all begins We're gonna take a look at Genesis chapter one, verses 26 through 31, and we're also gonna take a look at Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter 11 are bookends, the beginning and the end of the first major section in the book of Genesis, and I believe that they're supposed to be read together. Genesis chapter one, really, verses 26 through 31, tell us the purpose of mankind. That's number one on your outline. But then coming to the end of this first major section in Genesis, we come to Genesis chapter 11, number two on your outline, where we see the problem with mankind. And We're going to see some words in these two major sections of Scripture that are kind of antithetical to one another. They're opposites of one another, and they tell the whole story of the problem with mankind. And then number three on your outline, we're going to consider the proposal for us all. So as you're turning to Genesis chapter 1, let me begin first with the context. A lot has happened in the first 25 verses of the book of Genesis that I just skipped over. Uh, God speaks and everything that there is is created. By the power of his word, everything that there is is created. Notice in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, we read that the earth first was formless and void. It was formless, it had no structure to it, and it was void, it had no substance to it. It was formless and void. And in verses 3 through 25, God is going to bring form to the formless, and then He's going to bring substance to the void. Notice what happens. God, by the power of his word, speaks form into the formless. He brings light and expanse and land and uh, waters and vegetation. He brings form to the formless. And then what he does is he fills the emptiness with substance. He brings forth animals and he brings forth birds and fish And so God brings form to the formless and he brings substance to the void and that brings us now to verse 26. Having brought form to the formless and having brought substance to the emptiness, God now creates man to rule over what he has created. In verse 26, we see the beginning of man and we see that man is created to rule over everything God has just created. Let me read for you Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 31. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the sky, to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening And there was morning, the sixth day. So again, having brought structure to the formless, having filled now his creation with substance, God now creates man to rule over what he has created. And I wanna work back through these verses and highlight a few big words along the way. A few big words that you need to know and understand Uh, to make sense of this passage. The first big word that I want you to see here in these verses is the word in. I know in is not a big word in its length, but it is a big word in its magnitude. Notice again, for example, verses 26 and 27. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then notice verse 27. God created man in his own image, In the image of God, he created them. Often theologians wrestle with what in the world does it mean to be created in the image of God. And theologians sometimes say, well, this means that we're created with a mind, we're created with emotions, we're created with a will. In other words, we have intellectual ability, we have ethical uh, and moral abilities. And this is all a great discussion, but I think it misses the point. And I want to submit to you that the word in, a better translation is as, A-S. So reading these verses again, you could read it as, then God said, let us make man as our image. Verse 27, God created man as his own image, as the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. And the emphasis of the word as, we're created as the image of God, this really speaks to our function, our purpose, why we are here, why God created us in the first place. That's the first big word, and I think as I highlight the other big words, this will come to make a little bit more sense. So the first big word is as, we're created as God's image. The second word I want to highlight is the word image. God created us as his image. And outside of these verses right here, this particular Hebrew word, the way it's most often used, this word image, Selim is the Hebrew word, it's actually used to describe idols. When we see this word used throughout the Old Testament, this particular Hebrew word is used to describe idols. Now think about it. An idol is simply a physical representation of a spiritual reality, a spiritual entity. It's a physical representation here on earth of a spiritual entity, right? That's all that an idol is. It's serving to um, be in the place physically of a greater spiritual reality, And as being created as the image bearers of God, when God creates human beings as the image of God, this means that we are here in His place. We're meant to represent Him, we're meant to reflect Him. This idea is illustrated in that throughout the ancient world, often when a king or an emperor or a ruler, whenever he had his particular dominion and authority, what he would do to show that he was in charge is he would place images, idols of himself throughout his kingdom so everybody knew who was in charge here. There's no doubt about it. But think about it. It wasn't the statue that was in charge. It was the man that the statue represented who is in charge. And it's the same for us. God creates us as his images to be spread out over this world he has created to show who is in charge here. It's not us, it's him. That's why we're created, to show the creation who is in charge here. And this brings us to the third major word that I want you to see. It's the word rule. Notice what God tells us to do. Verse 28 says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and notice this, subdue it, rule over the fish, the birds, the sky, over every living thing. So God creates us as his image bearers, being his representatives, and he tells us to rule over this thing, this creation that he has made by the power of his word. We are his living, breathing, walking, talking, representatives spreading out over his creation, showing everyone and everything who is in charge here, ruling in his place, reflecting his glory, serving as the vice regent of his creation, serving, ruling in his place. And God says, I want you to go out, starting in The Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, I want you to go out and rule over all of this creation that I have made. And that brings us to the next big word, the fourth word I want you to see here, is that word fill. Notice again, verse 28, God blessed them, God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the reason God gave the gift of procreation is so that more and more image bearers of God would be spread out over the entire surface of his creation. Again starting in the garden of Eden, but ultimately spreading out through his entire creation, God's intention was that his glory would spread and cover the entire creation through these image bearers that he has created who are ruling in his place. For the theologians in the room, this is where the imago day or the image of God and the missio day, the mission of God, go hand in hand. We are created as the image bearers of God to go out on mission for God and rule over this entire creation that he has made. This is the purpose for which mankind is made as his image. And then notice... The last major word that I want you to see, verse 31, God sought all that he had made and behold, it was very good. It wasn't just good, it wasn't just okay, but it was very good. And the idea here in this phrase is that everything God has just designed, everything God has just created, everything he has just spoken into being, including our purpose to be his image bearers, ruling over his creation, is exactly how it's supposed to be. It's very good. It's perfect. It's flawless in function and in purpose. This is exactly what it is that we were created to be. To serve God, to glorify him by ruling in his place over this creation he has made, God looks at it and says, this is very good. This is exactly the way it's supposed to be. But as we turn the pages in scripture, we read that what God has made to be very good, we ruin. In Genesis chapter 3, sin is introduced into this storyline. And we ultimately break this very good plan that God has created but I don't want to look at Genesis chapter 3, I want to look at Genesis chapter 11, kind of where this story ultimately heads as sinners introduced into the world. Again, chapter 1 and chapter 11 are bookends of the first major section in the book of Genesis, and we see the uh, purpose of man in Genesis chapter 1, but we're going to see the problem with man here in Genesis chapter 11, for him or for me, for him Or for me, that's the question we need to wrestle with as we look at number two on your outline, the problem with mankind. And as I read these verses, I'm gonna highlight a few other words along the way that are the exact opposite of the words we saw in Genesis chapter one. Notice, for example, let me read for you starting in Genesis chapter 11, verses one through four. Now, the whole earth used the same language and the same words it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad, over the face of the whole earth. Let's pause right there. Three major words I want you to see here in these verses of Genesis chapter 11. Settled, make, and scattered. Settled, make, and scattered. First, look at the word settled again. Verse two says that they, that is the human beings, journeyed east and found a plain in the land of Shinar. And what did we do? We settled there. That's the exact opposite of what God told us to do, to spread out and fill the entire earth with his glory as his image bearers. Instead of filling the earth with his glory, what did we do? We found a plain and we settled there. We congregated there. Instead of filling the earth, we congregated. We settled. And then notice the second big word here, the word make, verse four. As we settled there in the land of Shinar, we began to... uh, build these bricks. And verse four says, come let us build for ourselves a city, a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. The word I want you to see here is the word make. That particular Hebrew word make was used in Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two to describe God making the creation. God made all that there was including us as his image bearers. But here in Genesis chapter 11, the problem with mankind is we decide we're not gonna live our life for his glory. We're not gonna live our life according to his plan. Instead, we're gonna try to make, create a name for ourselves. It's not about God's glory anymore. It's about mine. We're gonna make a name for ourselves. We can't change our identity, who we are. We're image bearers of God. So instead, we create, we make a name, a reputation for ourselves. It becomes about us. This is a reversal of God's plan for us as his image bears. And this brings us to the third major word I want you to see here. It's related to that first word, but the third word I want you to see is the word scattered. Notice verse four. Let us make for ourselves a name. Notice this. Otherwise, in defiance... We will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. God told us to fill the earth, to subdue it, to rule in his place. And here we gather together in a plain called Shinar, intentionally defying God, and we recognize, we even admit, otherwise we're going to be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. Do you see the defiance here? This is an absolute rejection of what God has told us to do. This is the exact antithesis of what God has intended. Genesis chapter 11 is the theological and lexical opposite of Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. Everything God told us to do there, we have rejected when it comes to Genesis chapter 11. So notice what God does. God always gets the last laugh. So verse five says, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have the same language and this is what they began to do and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. So come, let us go down and there confuse their language so they will not understand one another's speech. So notice what happens. So the Lord, what did he do? Scattered, there we see that word again. The Lord scattered them abroad from there, notice, over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. You see what God does? I love God's humor here, the irony here. What he created us to do that we then reject and defy in Genesis chapter 11, God brings about anyway. We congregated because we didn't wanna scatter, so God confuses the languages and forces us to scatter, forces us to spread out over the surface of his creation. Alan Ross says it this way. He says, what people considered their greatest strength, unity, he destroyed by confusing their language. What they considered their greatest fear scattering naturally came upon them. And what they desired the most to make a name for themselves ironically came to pass because they became known as Babel. God's plan will be accomplished. If not with man's obedience, then in spite of man's disobedience. Don't you love what God does? I love the irony here. We all got together all the human intellect in the world got together in defiance of God's plan. And God's plan came to pass anyway. And ironically, the very thing we were trying to do to build a name for ourselves came to pass in one of the most famous stories ever told, Babel. So here in uh, chapters one through 11 of Genesis, we see that God brings form and substance to his creation. He creates us to rule in his place, to bear his image, to spread his glory throughout the face of the earth. But then we see here in Genesis chapter 11 that we defy that and we reject that. But God does it anyway. So this then brings us to number three on your outline. We've seen the purpose of mankind to be his image bearers, spreading out all over his creation, reflecting his glory. We've seen the problem with mankind that we rejected that, trying to build a name for ourselves. This then brings us to the proposal for us all. The fundamental question for all of us that we see played out here in Genesis 1 and Genesis 11. For him or for me? Am I going to spend my life bearing his image, reflecting his glory, serving him, or am I gonna live for me? Am I gonna waste away my life trying to make a name for myself when I know how this story is ultimately gonna play out anyway? Let's look at number three on your outline. First, let me say the good news. We've seen the problem. And the story of Babel, in one way or another, has been repeated time and time again. You could say that the entire story of human history is one babble after another. We just keep trying to make a name for ourselves and to build up our reputation and serve in the place of God rather than letting him be God. That's the bad news. But the good news is when we come to the New Testament and we are introduced to the person of Jesus, we come to the solution. In the book of Colossians, Paul talks about how Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That Jesus is the perfect image bearer that we've been waiting for for thousands of years. That he perfectly lives out God's plan to represent him on the earth. And this is what Jesus does to the point of laying down his life for all of us image bearers who have been broken. The ones who have rejected the very glory which we were created to live in Jesus lays his life down for us. God restores us as full image bearers to reflect the glory we've longed for all along, the very glory though we despised and rejected along the way. And listen to everybody here in this room, to those of you watching online, if you've really not stopped to consider who this Jesus is, that he laid down his life for you, that all of the striving all of the Babel building along the way that we've all been guilty of. He takes that away and nails it to the cross and he offers to you forgiveness, redemption, eternal life, eternal glory. If you've not really stopped to consider that, I want to ask you, beg you to really consider who he is and to put your faith, your trust in him and As a child of God, as a person who's redeemed, now the resurrected life of Christ is lived out in you. Again, the very glory, the very life that we rejected, the life we were intended to live, that Jesus lived perfectly. But for all of us, the basic proposal that we all have to face, the question we have to wrestle with is am I gonna live my life for him or am I going to live my life for me? For him, or for me? That's the question. Am I going to image God, or am I going to make a name for myself? Again, last week, I introduced to you the new purpose, vision, mission, and values of Grace Bible Church. And The goal for each and every person in this room, for each and every person watching online, is that when you come to the point of death, when you stand before your creator, you might hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. But this isn't going to just happen. And so the mission, the plan that we have for you is this idea of equip, engage, and exalt. And... This sermon here is the first sermon in this series of Engage. Genesis 1 and 11 provide the foundation of everything I'm going to be talking about in this Engage series. Next week, we're gonna get real practical and talk about evangelism. The week after that, we'll talk about local outreach. The week after that, we'll talk about global missions. And then we're gonna end with the missions and outreach conference. But this is the foundation of it all. This is why you and I are created, to be his image bearers, to reflect his image over all of this creation, over all that God had made. We are here, our very purpose, our very essence, our very being is to be his image bearers. And so again, each and every week, my goal is that you get equipped with the truth of God's word so that throughout the week, we are out engaging people with the goodness of God, with the gospel of Jesus as we little image bearers of God, people who are being transformed into the image of Jesus are being sent out into the world and then we come back together week in and week out and exalt God for who he is and what he has done. This is the plan. And in contrast to Babel, in contrast to what we see in Genesis chapter 11, we as Christians, as image bearers of Jesus, are called to live out our original purpose, our original essence, our original mission that we see here in Genesis chapter 1. By the way, Jesus reinforces this idea in Matthew chapter 28, right? The Great Commission. Go, he says, and make disciples, little image bearers of all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them, and I'm with you always, he says. He says, And here's the deal. We saw in Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 11 that even though we rejected God's plan, God's plan came to pass anyway, right? And I guarantee you that one day God's glory is going to cover this earth like the waters cover the sea. One day, People from every tongue, tribe, nation, and people are gonna know Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords. We know how this story ends. The question is not, are we going to get there? The question is, are you going to experience the joy of participating? Are you going to, like we saw there in Genesis chapter one, that statement, very good. Are you gonna experience the joy of doing what you were created to do? To bear his image, To reflect his glory. Listen. You are so much more. Than what the babbles of this world have to offer. Again throughout the course of human history. We just keep trying to make a name for ourselves. We try to steal the glory. That was actually God's glory. That we're intended to reflect. And. All of the things we do, the the jobs we have, the cars we drive, the houses we live in, the bank account that we have, all of that's important, but that's not who you are. That's not your identity. That's not your purpose. Your purpose, we see here, is to reflect his glory, to magnify his name, rather than to build a name for ourselves. And there's no greater joy than doing what you were created to do. You are created as an image bearer of God. And not only that, but every human who has ever existed is intended to be an image bearer of God. And that's why we engage. That's why we do things like evangelism and local outreach and missions. It's not because we're so good. It's because God's glory is meant to be spread throughout his creation. And one day again, that's guaranteed it's going to come to pass That's why we treat people with dignity and respect, because they bear in them the image of God. The image of God. I love what John Calvin says. In his Institutes, Calvin writes, Love of neighbor is not dependent upon the manner of men, but it looks to God. The Lord commands all human beings without exception to do good, We are not to consider that men merit of themselves, but we are to look upon the image of God in all men. Therefore, whatever person you meet, he says, who needs your help, you have no reason to refuse that help to him, to love those who hate you, to repay evil deeds with benefits. It's that we remember not men's evil intention, but we look upon the image of God in them. Does that make sense? In other words, again, the reason we're called to do good, the reason we're called to engage with people, because they bear in them the very image of God. And so we're to treat them with care and dignity and love because of who they were created to be, because of who you're created to be. So there in your outline, I've given you some application questions to consider But your one thing for this week is this. This is the fundamental question of all of life, for him or for me. As we begin this new sermon series, this idea of Engage, as we begin the year of the church in 2020, the fundamental question you have to wrestle with is for him or for me? And when is a time when you felt like you found your true purpose in life in serving him? And how can you use your life for God's glory, for him or for me? That's the question. Each Christmas, one of the things we do in our household is we throw a birthday party for Jesus. So each and every year, we uh, have a dinner, and we usually do a birthday cake, and we have usually sparkling grape juice, and uh, we throw a birthday party for Jesus. This is one of the ways that we try to teach our kids that Christmas is about much more than the presents under the tree, than the little babbles that we're all trying to build, right? Right? Um, And this year, just a few weeks ago, we were around the table and we had our sparkling grape juice in our glasses and somebody raised a glass and said, to Jesus, and my son, four year old son Judah, without missing a beat, as though he had been planning this for all his life, (laughs) said, no, to self, And I laughed and I gasped at the same time for this pagan budding philosopher of a son, what four-year-old says to self. But he identified the fundamental question of all of life. To Jesus or to self? For him or for me? That's the question. It's not to be or not to be. It's for him or for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you created us. That you created us with a purpose. And there is no greater joy, no greater purpose than to live for you. Forgive us, Father, when we spend our life trying to make a name for ourselves, When we orient every decision of every day around what's going to bring me glory rather than to reflect your glory. Thank you for the resurrected life of Jesus, the perfect image bearer that's lived out in us and through us by the power of your Spirit. Help us, Father, to lay aside ourselves as Jesus said, to bear our cross every day, to die to ourself, ultimately to live for you. For only you are worthy. And we know that one day your glory will spread and cover this world as the water covers the sea. And we are looking forward to that day. Help us, equip us, use us to engage other people to exalt you for who you are, for all you do. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.